What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, study them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint and your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. Hit me up with your questions about faith, about uh, relationship with Jesus, about prayer, about relationships with other people. Whatever they are, I will sit with your questions, I will pray with them, I will study them, and hopefully I will give you advice and respond to your questions in a way that is good for you to become holier, for you to grow in your relationship with God and the church. If you're a first time listener, Hit me up with your own questions, comments, and critiques at www.essentialpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. And you can share us on your social media pages. If it's good for you, it might be good for other people as well. On this show, we are joined my good friend, uh, Sister Josephine Garrett. What's up, Sister Josephine? Hey, Father. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And right now, we are... Are you done eating bacon? I'm done. It was so good. I'm still... <laughs> Eating my bacon right now. Mm. It was so good. He What's is your going to eat bacon while we record this podcast. What's your favorite breakfast? My favorite breakfast is so like right now I like to eat this bre- this bread called Ezekiel bread, mm. and I'll toast it and put cream cheese on it and have bacon. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and then coffee with my coffee. Is Ezekiel one of your favorite prophets in the Bible? Nope, but I like the bread. But his reading was my. Reading for my first vows was from the prophet of Ezekiel. Come on. Mm-hmm. Won't he do beautiful. it? Won't he do it? <laughs> Won't he will. Yeah, so on today's show, we're going to be talking about the, the importance of intimacy in marriage. Because uh, we're celibate. So yeah. we're the perfect people we're to two, have this two conversation. Two celibates are going to talk about, um, about sex. And we're going to talk about uh, relationships. And marriage. And marriage. <laughs> and we're going to talk about communication. And we're going to talk about... Uh, how to have just yeah, a healthy relationship. We actually wrote a, yeah. wrote a song about it. Let's talk about celibacy. <laughs> Let's talk about... Which is property, you and me. Which is property, you and me. Let's we're talk about all the holy things. <laughs> that come from our relationship um, with God. Um, okay, but I do think, this has been my experience as a sister and a counselor, maybe it's similar to you, that if, like married people, I notice sometimes are more comfortable with me. And I think it's because I'm not projecting my own marriage and my own intimacy in a marriage onto their situation. Probably I'm so. kind of a cleaner. So I think it's fine for a couple of celebrities. And they come folks. to me because I'm free. Because um, as a priest, <laughs> it's like, it's free. It's have to free. It doesn't cost anything. No, I'm like, can you please go see a counselor? Go see a therapist. And I want to come see you. I'm like, I can give you spiritual wisdom. I can give you practical <laughs> wisdom, some pastoral wisdom. But you really should be seeing a therapist. Like, but, but I'm like, oh, I get it. You just cheap. That's what it is. You don't spend no money. It. You don't want to spend no. no I'm joking. But All right. So before we get to the glory story, do I do want to oh, yeah. say we have to do a glory story now. Yeah, see, I know the I'm order going. better than you. Before we get to the glory story, I do want to say I do think that. People who are celibate have something like insight wise to offer to married people because we is in regarding like intimacy in your marriage because we're not kind of clouded by the being in it, you know, like being in this, those situations because it can be complex but also can be incredibly rewarding. Is it time I for the glory story? Some wait before we get to glory story, in some because there are some celibate people who are unhealthy. And it would not be appropriate to go to some people because there that are some some priests and some sisters who are not in a good place. That is fair. And, um, yeah. And depending on, yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. So just also, I, yeah. Blessed be God. I think we're in a great place. But I do. I would say it's it's a discernment thing of of, of yeah. And that's right. Like, would you give 
counsel to a woman about intimacy in her marriage. No, no. That's I, not. And I would not to a man. Yeah. I really wouldn't. So. And I would tell him, I really, and, or no, the only way I would give it to a woman is if she was with her husband. Right. Present. So, yeah. Same. So I, I've, yeah. I've invited couples to exactly. come and talk to me together. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, because um, we live in, with the fallen human nature, just it's not healthy. It's not appropriate right. for sexual yeah, conversations to take place. Whenever so. a man wants to, yeah, wants to speak with me about his marriage, it, it, I refer him to a man mm-hmm. or it would be couple, like couple work. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the glory story. So my glory story, <laughs> chicka chicka. So my my glory story is, you know, we're talking about marriage, is I, I walked with a couple. Uh, my first assignment as a priest was at LSU, and so I've been able to see a lot of those students now uh, get married or enter religious life, enter priesthood. Um, but there was a couple that I walked with, and they, uh, yeah, they. It was just beautiful to see them go from dating to having conversions or reversions through campus ministry to being friends, Mm -hmm. to then on a mission trip, they reconnected, began to date again, had a beautifully holy relationship. Mm -hmm. And they viewed their their sacrament of matrimony as an opportunity to bring about conversion in the lives of their family and friends. It's appropriate. And so they prayed a 54-day novena leading up to their wedding, Mm -hmm. a rosary, for the event of the wedding, that people that would come to the event of the wedding would have an encounter with God. Uh, and so uh, it, it was just so beautiful the way that they they spiritually prepared, because the sacrament's a big deal, right? And the devil hates sacraments. And so mm. they put on their spiritual armor in preparation for their sacrament. And let me tell you, their wedding was one of the most beautiful weddings I've mm. ever participated in. From the music, to the preaching, uh, to the just the, the witness, everything about, and, and literally people at the reception were sharing stories of how they had encountered God and how they wanted to come back to church now that they went to this wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, they prayed the rosary, I forgot specifically for every single guest mm-hmm. by name who would attend this wedding. So they obviously were very intentional about the number of guests. That way they could be intentional about praying for them. And I just thought that what a beautiful way, because a, a, a sacrament, a, a marriage, is not just for the couple's holiness. It's for the transformation of their entire community. Uh, their their relationship, their love for each other and with each other is supposed to be a bridge for other people to encounter God by looking at their love for each other. So I thought that, um, yeah, it was just, it was a beautiful, and it, that was on my mind recently because I got an invitation from another couple that I, a couple that I met, I don't know if I was a young priest speaking at Abbey Fest or mm-hmm. if I was a seminarian hosting Abbey Fest, but they came down for the altar call. You know, we do a vocation call at a lot of these youth conferences and I did a vocation call for a priest and religious, and this couple came forward, 
and they were like, they were like high school kids or maybe junior high. They were young. They were mm-hmm. super young. They're like, we came now for the altar call, but we because we feel called a vocation of marriage. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool, but we were talking about priests and nuns. They said, where do we go? Because we separated. We said, girls go here if you call a sister, guys go here. They said, well, where do we go? We're called. We feel called a marriage. And I was like, well, that's real cute. <laughs> well, they are now getting married in a couple oh, of weeks. Wow. And I got the invitation, and on the invitation. They're asking people who are coming to their wedding to go to confession, and they're mm. and they're offering. If you go to our website, we'll tell you churches that offer confession. We're praying for you. And they said they sent me a letter, and they said in the letter, Father Josh, we want our wedding to be a source of conversion for people in our community. And I just thought that, again, so beautiful that you're entering into this beautiful gift of marriage, not just for yourselves, but you're you're entering to this gift for the for the sanctification of our entire community. So. So that's really, they're really well-formed because that the marriage is a mission. Mm-hmm. So when the couple faces out to go out of the church, they go out on mission together. They have a shared mission, and as their family grows, they invite the, their children into that mission mm-hmm. that they've discerned. So it's really appropriate for them to approach like the preparation. It's a sacrament of service. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. And the liturgy yeah. that way, it's really beautiful and appropriate. That's awesome. So shout out to all the married couples and, and couples who are discerning marriage um, as well. With that, let's jump into today's show. All right, so we are going to be talking about Sister Josephine and I, a nun and a priest, are going to be talking about the importance of intimacy within the context of of sacramental marriage. And so uh, do you want to lead or do you want me to lead or how do you want to do this? Well, you've been going first on the others. Okay, cool. So yeah. I will I will continue that. So I'll, I'll just share a few basic things. And these are things that I, I share with all the couples that I, I prepare for marriage. And even whenever couples come to me for counseling within the context of they're already married for a number of years or whatever. And these are basic things that I, but I think are basic things that are super helpful. Um, number one, when I was ordained a priest, Dr. Brant Petrie, a good friend of mine, scripture scholar, theologian, a, a holy lay disciple of Jesus Christ, he gave me a book. And the book he gave me wasn't the catechism. It wasn't the Bible, even though he's a Bible scholar. The book that he gave me was The Temperament That God Gave You. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that book has been so transformative, learning more about my temperament and about the temperaments of others. But I've also been able to use that book in relationship with husbands and wives to encourage them. Like, are you sanguine? Are you phlegmatic? Are you choleric? Are you melancholic? And it, what's your spouse? And once you learn what your temperament is and what your spouse's temperament is, you learn how to better communicate to your spouse in a way that they can receive communication. So we're a mystery. We're always learning about each other over time. There's no couple that started dating in high school or college that's been married for 50 years that doesn't continue to learn more about each other as they experience loss and yeah. grief and new life and infertility, whatever it is, they grow and they learn more about each other throughout their, their relationship. And so the temperament is also something that I think would be super helpful for any couple and that's seeking to learn how to better love their spouse, not just in the bedroom, but in their relationship. The five love languages is also another way that we can, I think, better learn um, 
our spouse and how our spouse receives communication best. So let's go ahead and play a game right now, Sister Josephine, and see <laughs> uh, if if we are able to determine what what our love languages are. Like what yours is? Yeah. You want quality time. You just want to hang out. Father Josh don't care what you do. Like what when he's hanging out with people that he loves and that loves him, he just wants to hang out. <laughs> True. And also in doses, right? Because yes, even when he I, will disappear on you. I will disappear because <laughs> I because I'm still introvert personality-wise and I get fed by being alone. And so I, I wouldn't surprise Sister Josephine one day. And I guess you could talk about that on another podcast, but I get there, and the next day, like, we're hanging out, and at one point, I was like, all right, can I go back to the convent? Like, because I wanted some alone time. He went and took a nap. <laughs> I, I just had, and I'm, like, there for a day, but I still needed, like, that, that me time. And um, and even in the morning, we we're like, all right, we're going to wait to see each other. I, I think it was mass. So, like, I'm going to see you at mass. Like, I can't see you before that because I have to have that, that alone time even there. So, I do like quality time. That is my top with number one love language. With people that he loves, With yeah. people I love. If, yeah. I, if I don't love you. That's, I a, love, different set of, that's a different the thing, set of circumstances. And let me be very clear. I love everyone in a Thomistic way. I want everyone to be a saint. I don't like everybody, though. And so uh, if I'm not really liking you, then I don't want a lot of time with you. It drains me, actually, to be with people. Um, and so uh, so definitely, that you got that right. So I'm going to go ahead and guess quality time, yours. Yeah. Uh, so um, I do think you appreciate quality time as well. I do. But I think... After knowing you for so for so many years now, I mean, it's, it's about not two been years? that long. <laughs> it's been a couple of years. So, sister probably likes to receive love the way she gives love, mm-hmm. and the way she gives love is through gifts. Yeah, I like thoughtful gifts, not tchotchke, but like really What's thoughtful tchotchke. We call tchotchke in the convent. Is that Polish? Yes, it's like the invasion of gifts that end up in the re-gift closet, like just stuff that you're not going to use. So yeah, tchotchke... Makes my chest tight because I have to think, what am I gonna do with this? Ha, who am I gonna give it to? Well, it because to. I'm a nun, and so I have like one dresser drawer and like two closets, so I can't keep all that stuff. But like really thoughtful gifts where you could tell the person was like listening or attentive or had to like think it through. It really does. It's uh, it touches me my heart a lot. So <laughs> gifts are thoughtful. So mm-hmm. gifts. So it's important to learn. Like there's five loving languages: there's gifts, service, time. Quality touch and words of affirmation, or is it words of encouragement? Affirmation. Uh, affirmation. Think, yeah. But again, learn your spouse's love language. And even if that's not your love language, like the whole point of marriage is to pour yourself out for the good of the other. And so to be able to sacrifice so that the other person feels love the way that they were created to feel love. And then finally, one thing I tell my couples in marriage prep that I also remind couples in the sacrament of matrimony. Um, is to apply the five W's to four aspects of their life. The five W's are written about in our books, uh, Broken and Blessed, uh, and the Pocket Guide to Adoration. It's when, where, what, who, and why. But basically, you apply it to four things. The first thing is to prayer, right? Uh, because prayer is relationship with God. So every couple should be praying. Every As individuals, right? We should have our own relationship with Jesus Christ. So when am I going to cultivate my relationship with Jesus Christ? Put it on the calendar. Where am I going to spend time with Jesus Christ? Put it on the calendar. What are he and I going to do together? Put it on the calendar. Who's going to hold me accountable? call that person, text that person, invite that person. And why am I doing this? Well, the reason why we want to spend time with Jesus is because the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we can receive his love and then share his love with the other person. You and I are good people, Sister Josephine. Every person is good, but we're finite. And we have an infinite heart and infinite hearts long for that which is infinite. And no finite person, place, or thing, no matter how good they are or we are, can ever fulfill that. So it's important that we are receiving God so we can share God. 
and imitate God and be patient and be kind with each other. Number two is worship. Uh, one of my buddies, he's done a bunch of annulments, and he said out of all the annulments he's done mm. uh, at this point in his ministry, the one common factor was that the couples didn't go to mass together. Mm. They didn't pray together as a family. And so to worship together. So the five W's every Sunday, when next week am I going to go to mass? Where are we going to go to mass? What are we going to offer up as a sacrifice? Who's going to hold us accountable and why? Well, it's because the family that prays together stays together. The third thing is date nights. We ought to be dating each other, not... Not, not we, not you and me. I'm married to the church. You're married to Jesus. We, as in the couples, married couples ought to be dating each other, right? And so I think what often happens is we get so busy with work, and then once kids come into the picture, we stop dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we fall out of love. We become roommates. And so we've got to prioritize date nights uh, and communicate that to our, our, our children and our family and our friends that this is important for us in order for us to, to thrive within the context of our relationship. And so at least twice a month, intentional, like not date nights that are last minute. It doesn't have to be extravagant either. It can like be at the house. To put it on the counter so that your spouse knows that they are more important than their friend than your friends are. Mm. Um, and so like to show your like your spouse, you are my priority. So I want to put you on the calendar before anything or anyone else can take this space. And then finally communication. Right. So we need to be able to have serious communication nights. And this can either be once a month or as things arise. But to put them on the calendar, because we all Again, we communicate differently. It's so like for me, I'm gonna communicate best if someone that has beef with me or drama with me, like schedules it with me. Like, hey, we need to have a, a conversation tomorrow at 7 p.m. Because I'm not good with having conversations on the spot. Like, so if you, if, so just, just Josephine, if you call me to check me about something mm-hmm. and I wasn't prepared for it, I, I need time to process. So what works best for me is, hey, Father Josh, I'm upset with you. Can we talk tomorrow about it? That way I have time to prayerfully consider what we're talking about. And so one way that I encourage couples to have these conversations is by sandwiching what I call the three F's. Can you guess what those three F's are, Sister Josephine? No. All right. So I'll tell you. (laughs) Facts, feelings, future. Okay. So we start with a positive, right? And we'll do like an affirmation, like, you know, uh, a fact is you sent me a text message and said, I love you. And it was just Tuesday. It wasn't my birthday. It wasn't anniversary. (laughs) It made me feel special. What could we do in the future? And then you could say, well, I had no idea that that, that word of affirmation mm-hmm. meant that much to you. And mm-hmm. so now that I know that it meant a lot to you, I will throughout the week now send you little love notes and text messages, emails, phone calls, and just say things to you since I know that means a lot to you. But then you say the next thing, which is more of like a negative experience that you've had. Fact is you did not put the toilet seat down again. <laughs> and it made me feel frustrated because like that, I think it's just, it's irresponsible. What could we do in the future? You know, like the other guys say, hey, I, I, I forgot, I'm a guy, you know, whatever. I'll put a post-it note so I can learn how to do it overnight because it takes time. And you do another positive. Whenever we can have these conversations on this, that are more superficial on the surface. Or like the day-to-day. The day-to-day. Mm-hmm. They open us up to have deeper conversations about deeper things. Like fact is when we had sex the other day, uh, you did X, Y, or Z. I felt like you were distracted or I felt like you weren't attentive. or I felt. And so can I switch it a little bit? Yeah. Because when the sentence starts with you, there's like all different processes that go off in the brain. Uh-huh. So if it could be like, instead, like, I feel disregarded when you leave the toilet seat up, right? Or mm. I feel, you know, like, yeah, I feel disregarded or 
I feel not considered. Like when you let when you leave the toilet seat up, like can you please remember? Or would it help if I put a label or whatever? But then especially regarding, like, I, I think there's just way too much silence about sexual intimacy in marriages. Yeah, and what we you like and what talk, you don't like. Yeah, we will talk and complain and express needs <laughs> in, in the context of marriage about so many things. But then in, when it comes to the topic of sexual intimacy in couples, it's just this silence on the matter. And I think... Um, and they have to learn, I mean, you have to learn, just like you have to learn your person, mm-hmm. learning their bodies is also like... It's going to be an experience that takes time, right? Because their body is not your body, and what gives their body even pleasure might not give your body pleasure. And so you have to be able to like have these very vulnerable, intimate conversations, deep conversations about like, hey, and not this. take them personally, yeah. Right? And so that's why I do like to. So my the person who supervised me is a very high level trade marriage therapist, and she was wanting to train me in the. Um, like so, I live in East Texas. There's no one in East Texas with the level of marriage therapy training that Nicole has. And she wanted to train me, and I was like, I know I don't want to see couples because I just w- I don't think I would be a good couples therapist. I'd always be picking one favorite, mm-hmm. and then like you know, here we go, we're gonna get them. Like, <laughs> just would not make it good. But she's always working with couples on how to effectively communicate needs to be heard. And so, and then helping, so if you, like you're saying, communicate in the day-to-day, like, hey, when this is going on, I'm feeling this way, could we please? That absolutely has to be brought into all the skills that you learn in your marriage prep, whatever, absolutely has to be brought into sexual intimacy because in the the context of the sacrament of marriage, Pope John Paul II once said that sexual intimacy in the context of sacramental marriage is in a sense, liturgical and is a way for the married couple to combat evil. Mm. And so, and as we talk, like we're talking about couples' disposition to receive each other in the marital act in a healthy way, right? So we, in this conversation, yeah, in this conversation, we're presuming those skills and abilities are on the table. If not, other work needs to be done. And how does that work? I think this is my question because not... Everyone has done that work. And so where does that work and formation take place? Both spiritual direction and therapy. And so a lot of times my supervisor, she'll be working with a couple and she'll refer one member of the couple to me. And she'll explain to them the things that you want to accomplish in marriage therapy are very difficult to accomplish without you first doing your own work. Mm-hmm. And she'll tell them that. Yeah. And so they'll come to me and we'll do some EMDR, which is a trauma therapy. And so I want to say, just as like a side note, trauma can create difficulties when seeking intimacy, unhealed trauma. Totally. Yeah. Right. And so, Which is why one of the questions I ask when I do marriage prep with couples is, are you impotent? And mm-hmm. the woman will oftentimes say, what are you talking about? I thought that was a guy thing, impotence, right? And, uh-huh. and I tell her, no. If and I mentioned in marriage prep, if there's been significant trauma, sometimes there might be a fear of Intimacy. of receiving yeah. the your your husband in the sexual act, and, right. and they're like, I never oh I never thought about that. Or Let even, me go talk to my therapist. Yeah, I've seen it in, expressed in that way in all kinds of different ways, even up to like I don't want him touching me, I don't yeah. want his hands on me, you know. And so that could that which like what you're describing mm-hmm. is impotency can be expressed in all like encounters of intimacy in the marriage couple, not just in the sex act itself. And so we're presuming like as we talk that 
the couple is dispositioned um, for sexual intimacy. And so to remember that it is far from non-consequential and you do yourselves a great disservice to be silent Mm -hmm. about this really important part of your relationship. I also would have in my notes, Father Josh, about this episode is that I wanted to talk about like expanding the sense of intimacy. So sometimes we're just like, sexual intimacy is penis and vagina, and that's not true. Like, and so one of the main types of therapies they taught us in school in the category of like sex therapies was one called sensate focus. And my clients will make fun of me. Like you can just hand someone a packet and they just follow the instructions for sensate focus. And they'll look at it and they'll be like, sister, I am not doing this. And I'm like, okay, well, good luck. Because <laughs> I mean, because it works, right? And yeah. again, they feel weird even having this discussion because we've allowed all this shame and stigma that is not of the Lord muddy the waters of the gift and beauty and liturgical power of sexual intimacy and the sacramental bond. Mm -hmm. And so to even talk about like learning to allow like encounters of just basic touch playing a role in sexual intimacy in the marriage, we kind of like shirk at that and get uncomfortable. But that's what sensate focused therapy is, is it's just the couples follow this kind of protocol over a course of several weeks to help them discover like the delight of being touched by their spouse, you know, touched on their hand or touched on their face. They're like held, you know, held by their spouse and letting that be brought into the realm of sexual intimacy so that the notion of sexual intimacy is not too narrow to experience the delight that it ought to bring. I think it's important for couples to find different ways to express their, their love for each other, especially as you change, right? Whenever a couple is newly married, they might, both really enjoy the exploration of each other's body in the sexual act and in the, the intimacy of the two becoming one flesh. But what often happens that I've experienced as a pastor is once children come into the picture and the woman's mm-hmm. body has gone through change, um, and then the, especially if, if, if she's breastfeeding and, the, and she's always on, right? Her, 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 her child wants her, her, her babies want her, now her husband wants her body. She's like, whoa, 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 like, my body need to be is, able to say no somewhere. is tired. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm being used all the time by yeah. all these babies who are wanting all this breast milk. And um, so I think it's important for husbands to like, no, we've got to find other ways to express and to be intimate with our spouse, even, even w- when it's not engaging in the two becoming one flesh, which is very healthy and appropriate with the marriage, but like to be able to like, to find ways to serve your wife whenever you see that she is going, 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 giving up her body throughout the day to her, the children, but also of just like every now and then it's okay to be celibate. I mean, it's okay to embrace celibacy within marriage at times. Um, Which and, is more I mean, possible. I'm sorry, abstinence within abstinence. marriage. Um, and, yeah, and, 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 and not, not celibacy. But to like, to be okay with like, okay, in this season, like let, I, I'm in control of my body. I can, I can hold you and I'm not an animal just because I'm aroused right now and I'm turned on while we're snuggling. I don't have to have sex with you right now because I'm not an animal, you know? So we have to be able to have that virtue that's established to where we can love our spouse. But if I know my wife is not in a place right now where she's willing and able because of like her body's exhausted, I, we have to be able to have this and be able to, to talk about it. Like, look. But that's a skill and that skill grows by careful examination of other experiences of touch that are not intercourse. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's reflected on enough. Like I got to hold my wife for 10 minutes and what 
what feelings did I have as I held her and what, you know, what did it feel like to hold her even like physically and to be held and to be held as it's like to reflect on those. That's what sensate focus therapy does Mm -hmm. reflect on those other aspects of touch so that I can get better in touch with how they are fulfilling so that I don't think only this one way is fulfilling. And what this does too, is this prepares couples for seasons of life whenever they're not going to be able to engage in uh, the sexual act uh, if they get older because of different reasons, right? Maybe the guy isn't able to get an erection and he's not able to take pills because he has a heart condition. And so if they have a lifetime or or a a lifetime of marriage of of experience of loving each other well, um, both with regards to the two become one flesh, but other ways of expressing intimacy, Mm -hmm. then when that season might come, and, and it, it, won't, it doesn't come for everybody. I know some couples who are super old and they're like, they're still living like they're 18 <laughs> years old. Um, <laughs> but but if it does come, you have you now have a whole formation of, of ways that you can love and be loved by your spouse. Yeah. So I want to recap because it is such, for various reasons, this has become such a sensitive topic, which I can say, like, as I sit across from couples, I remember looking at a client once and being like, y'all love each other. Like, y'all love each other. You know, and my client looking at me like, yeah, we do. And so it kind of breaks my heart sometimes how complex this has come for married couples. So I want to recap so our conversation doesn't add to the complexity, but instead adds to the simplicity for you. And so Father spoke about knowing your spouse, you know, knowing their temperament, um, knowing their preferences, and having the reverence to know that once you know it, you don't know it, right? Because the human person is a mystery, and so they're always being revealed to you. And so reverence means to look again, Re- reverence, look again. So with your sp- with our sp- with your spouse, you're always looking again. You're looking again. You're looking again. And so Father talked about learning them their temperaments, their personality style, their preferences, communicating well in day-to-day life so we can communicate, no pun intended, when there's more skin in the game. Right? <laughs> so that we can communicate <laughs> that was, well. That was, that was good. You like that, yeah. <laughs> when there's more skin in the game. And then also, yeah, so eradicating the silence and knowing that sexual intimacy in the context of marriage is likened to liturgy. Um, and is it a way to, and, and the devil hates it, like the devil hates it. And so to remember that, Father spoke about temperaments. And then we also talked about like the need for personal work to help sexual intimacy flourish. So sometimes maybe therapy is needed and that not being addressed is creating blocks in your sexual intimacy flourishing. I also want to talk about attachment styles. There's a great book that, and it has a workbook with it that couples can do without a therapist. You don't need a therapist because the folks who wrote it did such a good job. And it's called How We Love. And it's written by a Christian pastor and a Christian psychologist who are married. And so it's a great workbook. It looks at attachment styles and how our attachment styles are either working well together to help us achieve intimacy or how we're not working well together because of our attachment styles to not achieve intimacy. Um, The last thing I want to say, Father, before we wrap up is like that um, 
conflict is a gift. I think conflict is a gift. Father knows I love his conflict. I'm she like, does. I, we I, need- <laughs> and I can't stand it. Oh, he my can't gosh. Stand it. I'm like, we need to talk about this. Um, um, do we have to, though? Like, love- did you pray about this before you called me? Right. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm praying right now as I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> Rumble pray after I go on 10 on this, whatever this is. I think conflict is a gift, like, provided we steward it well. And so sometimes when I encounter spouses who have just grown so far apart, what I see is like this ongoing failure to see conflict as a gift and steward it well. And instead it was run away from. And so like we miss these opportunities to grow the bonds of love, you know, a communion and joy, because I feel like the fruit of conflict handled well is increased intimacy in the relationship. And so that's that's one of the reasons I've come to love it because when and not to make up conflicts, just to make up conflicts, because that will wreck that will wreck trust. But when there's a real conflict That's what reality TV shows do. They yes, they, they make, make it just to make it just yeah. for good TV. Yes. And it wrecks like trust and wrecks relationships. But like real conflicts when they come up to go towards them head on, knowing that the fruit of it you know, provided both of you come there, you know, using your I statements, I feel this way when, listening to listen, not listening to respond. We could do a whole episode, Father, on doing conflict well, or mm-hmm. you could. But to know that that's actually going to be a contribution to your intimacy to handle conflict well. I think I've, I've said enough. I feel like I'm talking too much. No, no, you're, <laughs> you're not talking too much. Okay. Um, what else do we have? Anything? I feel like we have... To go to a break now. <laughs> so that's your way of telling me I'm talking too much? That's my passive aggressive way Hold on. Hold on. Saying. During the break, we will be in conflict. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jansik. And we're the hosts of Catholic Classics. Join us for season two of the podcast where we will read and explain the confessions by St. Augustine. So the confessions, it's a classic. We all know that. But why read it? In this book, St. Augustine testifies to God's power, God's ability to draw him from a life of sin and error into a life of holiness and of genuine service of God's people. And not only are the confessions a testimony to St. Augustine's life, but also a testimony to the way by which God works in each of our lives, bringing us from our sin to a life of holiness, drawing us ever more and more into God's very own life. To follow along, you can find the reading plan at ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. And I, I'm back with a black eye right now. Uh, my, <laughs> my eye hurts. My lips busted open. But we are we are back together. And uh, if you want to send me a sympathy card for, for just having a nun go all nunja on me, uh, no, you can rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. You can share us on your social media pages. If the show's been good for you so far, it might be good for other people as well. Hit me up with the only questions, comments, and critiques at www.assistionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. So uh, now we're going to talk about the saints for today's show. And I think that you're, you're doing this I can right. go? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I didn't know if it was the time for another jingle or oh, not. Let's, let's, let's do that. Yeah. Is there a jingle? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that the jingle? Okay. Now, this is a story all, all about, about how, how my, my life, life got, got twist turned upside down. And, and I'd I like, like to take, take a, a minute and just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince the of the town. The spouse of Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> okay. Love it. Um, We, the saints for this episode, are saints. Uh. They're the first married couple to be canonized in the church. Wait, Mary and Joseph. Child, stop. Well, they're married, aren't they? They they didn't need to be canonized. 
They didn't okay. have a whole thing, okay. like a whole All celebration. Right. All right. Saints uh, Louis and Zelly Martin, parents of St. Therese, I believe, I could be wrong, were the first married couple to be canonized in the church. Come on. So I did a Bible study, um, like, a, like a mom's group uh, at the school where I work. And Saints Louis and Zelie Martin were the patron of our group. And part of the things we reflected on were the letters they exchanged. Oh. And what I really, I just appreciate so much. I love letters. In their letters was that like in their marriage, which was soaked in holiness, they also were who they were. Mm-hmm. Like you could really see their personalities coming through. And so Zelie was yeah. actually like, she was extra. She was super emotional, dramatic. Her letters, and she was the breadwinner for the family too, wasn't she? Zelia sometimes would have to step in because uh, Louis he had like a just a very passionate heart. So some things he would sometimes he would do things that weren't practical, but that were very virtuous and kind of put he, his safety. But in he risk. went on to work for his wife, didn't he? If I'm correct, I believe he worked for her. I'm not sure. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he You're worked for right. her. Yeah. But in reading her letters, you could see they had really different temperaments. Like she was probably sanguine, a little colicry, just very like, you know, everything is awful. You have to come home now. I love you so much. I miss you so oh, much. Oh, gosh. That, 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 that's, just hearing you say that right there, I feel exhausted. <laughs> so Hence, I'm called to be a celibate priest because I back. couldn't. <laughs> he would write back and just have the most calm disposition. And he, oh, I love it. He's like, phlegmatic. She would be like, dear love of my life. And he would write back and be like, my dearest friend. You know, and, <gasps> and, she, and she'd be like, what, what, why am I just a friend? What, but, what do you mean? <laughs> but like, they were a holy married couple, right? They were not exactly the same. They had a lot going on, like emotionally, in their temperaments, um, in their view of the world, in their view of their family, and they became saints. And I Mm. love that we were able to study their letters because their letters were a sign of their commitment to communication with one another. I love that. Like even like when there were difficulties in their marriage. And so, yeah, St. Louis and Belly Martin. For a minute. You always start the key so high. to know. Your name. Can we talk? <laughs> Can so, uh, we talk for a minute? So with that being said, uh, we're going to take a extended break because it's the end of the show. So we're going to invite St. Zelie and Louis Martin to pray, pray for, for us, us. Uh, as we continue our walk toward eternity until we speak with y'all next time. We will see you in the Eucharist. God bless. Deuces.